Welcome to Democracy Speaks. I'm your host, Cindy Black. On today's program, I'll be interviewing Kirsten Mueller on election security and the work she and others are doing around the country on securing our elections. Kirsten was born and raised in Seattle and graduated from the University of Washington with a BS in microbiology. She went on to attend University Washington University in St. Louis, where she obtained her doctorate in physical therapy. For the last 12 years, she has lived in Snohomish County, working as a PT and running a small software company with her husband. In her free time, Kirsten enjoys practicing sustainable living and spending time outdoors with her family. So that's a little bit about Kirsten, so let's get into it. So welcome to the program, Kirsten. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Cindy. I'm excited to be here. So um, before we get into talking more about election security and the issues that you've been working on, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what has motivated you to get involved in advocating for election security? Yeah, sure. So like you mentioned, uh, I'm a Seattle native, born and raised. Uh, my husband and I run a small software company. We've been doing that for about 16 years. Uh, and our primary focus is uh, image editing software. So kind of like a trimmed down Photoshop. Mm -hmm. I've also been working as a physical therapist for uh, the last 13 years, uh, and then spend my spare time volunteering with the League of Women Voters. So prior to becoming involved with the League about a year ago, I really didn't have a background in advocacy at all. Um, so this is all really new to you, relatively? Yes, very yes. new. Yep. So this last year has been a real whirlwind of getting involved in um, ground-level advocacy work. And so it was really after the November 2016 election that my attention was drawn to elections as being uh, something to be concerned about. I was really following along with the recounts that were taking place in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania um, going on with the uh, Stein campaign. And I was really troubled to learn uh, how much time and effort these recounts were, how much money they were costing. And the purpose was to have confidence in our elections, but it seemed like there must be a better way than to go through all that drama and trouble. Um, and I was really bothered um, by everything that was going on. And around that time, there was an opinion piece in USA Today written by Philip Stark, who is a statistician at UC Berkeley, and Ron Rivest, who is a cryptographer at MIT. And this op-ed said, you know, there really is a better way um, to have good voter confidence uh, with less effort and basically more science behind it. And one of the main things they pointed out was we don't need to be doing all these recounts. We could be doing post-election audits that are statistically based. And these are efficient. Uh, folks have already done them and we could be doing them right now. That really grabbed my attention uh, to know that there was something concrete, scientific that we could be doing. Uh, to avoid so a solution a solution yeah. exactly and I basically grabbed onto that and dove in deep I read every article I could get my hands on about post-election audits I uh, read a couple of great books uh, one of which is called Broken Ballots uh, by 
um, Barbara Simons and Doug Simmons, Barbara Simons and Doug Jones. Um, and then also there were some online courses by cybersecurity experts, uh, one of which uh, is put on by J. Alex Halderman, who is a real national figure in uh, securing our elections. After I started to feel like I had a good foundation of what the problem was and what some of the solutions were, I started to reach out to different organizations. I started to write to my local election officials, uh, began to write to my legislators. And you did this all on your own. Yes, this was all um, basically, I want to say, November 2016, January 2017, where I just felt the drive that this was something I could get behind and and advocate for. Mm -hmm. And do you think your uh, computer background and your software interest had something to do with that? You know, um, I would say a lot of it comes from my background in science education, where really, at least in physical therapy, before we implement a treatment, we need to have an understanding of the foundation. And so to see that our elections weren't operating from a foundation of science uh, really bothered me. And so you were looking at it from a very logical point of view about just how the system was working and there could be some drastic improvements to it. Exactly. That's right. Yep. And the fact that the folks that, you know, were asking for these solutions uh, were, you know, folks that were basically the department head of statistics, you know, in a major university, and the others were, you know, major worldwide known cryptographers. They have been studying this for decades, and they, you know, have really thought through these solutions and have been putting them out there for a while now. And so you're a member of the League of Women Voters here in Washington, and you're a part of the lobby team, and you're the lead for secure elections. Um, so tell us about how you got involved with the League. Why did you choose to go through the League to pursue some of these reforms? Sure. So just to give you a little bit of background on the League, uh, the League is a not-for-profit, nonpartisan political organization. Uh, and when a lot of folks think of the League, uh, their mind immediately goes to voter registration, uh, candidate forums, um, uh, so, sort of the stuff on the education side of voting. Um, but a big part of the League that many folks aren't aware of is advocacy. And so the League is highly involved in advocacy on many different levels of government. So they're involved frequently at the local level. Uh, state government, state uh, or local election officials, local government, and then we move up to state level, state legislators, uh, state government, and then also at the national level. And so when I became interested in election security, I reached out to Washington State's uh, league and they immediately responded and were interested in uh, working on election security with me. Well, it turns out the League had already done a lot of work uh, back in the mid-2000s uh, to arrive at a position that they supported voter-verified paper ballots or paper records. Uh, they supported that those paper ballots and records should be what are used in recounts and audits. Uh, they didn't support internet voting, and they support uh, statistics statistically based post-election audits. Mm -hmm. So pretty much all the groundwork for what I was um, already advocating for was already laid there by the league. 
And so so it, was, it was a good fit for you to go right mm -hmm. with them because they've already had that. They've already studied it, the issue, mm -hmm. and that seemed like a good fit for you. Exactly right. Yeah. So everything that I had been learning was already laid there by the league. And so it was an easy fit for me to come in and to start um, talking to folks at the league about this information and to become involved on their lobby team. And so to talk a little bit about the lobby team, uh, that's a state level group of folks who are advocating uh, for or against certain legislation. Um, and it's really a wide range of different issues from the environment to uh, elections and democracy uh, to gun safety. Um, and so I fit right in under the elections um, category uh, under Kathy Sakahara, who's the elections chair. And we've interviewed her on this program before, yes. Okay, great. Yeah, so it's been great uh, working with Kathy. She really kind of held my hand and introduced me uh, to how things work, you know, because this was all brand new to me. And this was all through the state legislature that you've been working on some things. And we're going to get into some of that in a little bit. Um, but I want to, before we jump into some of the specific um, types of work you've been doing. You're also part of Secure Our Vote, which is a national coalition that's working on election security. Is that correct? So, um, tell us a little bit about that group. Sure, sure. So Secure Our Vote is a coalition of quite a few different groups. Uh, just to name a few, Common Cause, Rock the Vote, Public Citizen. Uh, I want to say there's at least four or six more groups. I'm not directly part of the coalition, but I have been actively involved in a lot of what they've been doing um, and participated and presented during one of their webinars. And what, times, what types of um, things are they advocating for the, on the national level? So they are really trying to educate um, folks about what they can do um, within their state and also on a national level. And they're doing this uh, through really organized handouts great webinars that are being put on by national, um, nationally recognized figures. Um, they're advocating basically for paper ballots and post-election audits in order to ensure that every vote is counted as cast. So to really give voters um, a reason to have confidence in the election outcome. And so Recently, I believe it actually was yesterday, they did a great webinar on how the public can be involved in observing post-election audits, questions to ask, um, ways to start to uh, get involved in change if the audits aren't you know, up to snuff. And so they've really brought it down to useful tools that people can use to um, get involved easily. Yes, and I've, I've been one of those people that were fortunate to witness a post-election audit in just this past primary in Pierce County, which is a really great process to watch, and, and you, it is open to the public. You can call and participate in that, so we encourage people to do that. Um, if you're just tuning in, I'm Cindy Black, and you're listening to Democracy Speaks. I am talking with Kirsten Mueller about election security. So let's Let's break it down for listeners. How do you define election security? What does that really mean? So I think one way to think of it is, well, what makes for a secure election? And a secure election to me means that every vote was counted as cast, and we have proof of that. Or, you know, we can show with high certainty that that's the case. 
And so resoundingly, cybersecurity experts, election security experts, they all recommend paper ballot records that a voter has verified with their own eyes uh, for every vote. And then that those ballots are then audited using a statistical method, uh, random, to ensure that we then have high confidence that they were tallied correctly. Um, and so another way to think of this is uh, a three-word saying is defend, detect, recover. And so a lot of what we're seeing going on right now um, being talked about from the Department of Homeland Security and different secretaries of state is the de defend component. And so that means, you know, spending a lot of effort with those firewalls, um, spending a lot of effort doing penetration testing, making sure the networks are secure, and doing a lot of education of election officials about how to, you know, secure things using good passwords, um, not clicking on, you know, random links in the emails. All mm -hmm. those sorts of things are very necessary for the defend component. But then when we get into the detect and recover components, that's where we absolutely need the paper ballot and we need the post-election audit because we need to have a record and then we need to be able to check that record with our eyes, you know, hand to eye, not another machine. And so if we can go back through and do an audit sample of the paper, then we have the chance to detect if something happened, whether it's a software error or, you know, a nation state or malicious actor or whatever that could have caused a, mm -hmm. a problem. And then recover, because we have the paper ballots, we can now go through and possibly do a recount if necessary. And then we can have that confidence in our elections mm -hmm. because we um, detected and recovered. But going back to the defend, we can't ever have 100% security. It's impossible. I mean, you look at... Because every system, no matter what, is vulnerable in some yeah. capacity, right? In exactly. some level. Yes. Yeah. When you, when you look at it, like banks all the time are getting breached and they spend billions of dollars on their cybersecurity. You look at the State Department and the Department of Defense. They both have, you know, top-notch security, but yet they're getting breached. And I believe the FBI put out a report that says, you know, after a breach has occurred, it can take on average almost two years to fully recover and get all of the, you know, malware or, you know, whatever else was in and there. And then out. there's a whole lot going on in between that that's yeah. getting more sophisticated. Exactly. So it, yeah. I think the people need to realize no matter what system we have, there's always some element that wants to game the system or try mm -hmm. to get over on it for whatever their um, their interest is. Exactly. So whoever's on offense is always going to have the advantage. That's and why then, the defend is so mm -hmm. important. Yeah, so, so defend, absolutely important, but it's going to be impossible to be 100% effective. There's always going to be a way in no matter what. Um, and so one way to think about this is a lot of folks say, well, I have nothing to be concerned about. Uh, the voting system where I live isn't connected to the internet. Well, the problem with that argument is that there are lots of other ways to compromise a system besides the internet. Um, think about the Iranian nuclear system that was compromised by removable media coming in and being plugged into their machine. Um, that was the Stuxnet worm. Mm -hmm. um, when we think about 
the software that programs the ballot counting equipment. A lot of times that software is coming from vendors. Are their machines completely isolated from the internet? Is there removable media, you know, brand new, never been touched before by another machine and only being used once? So how, how what's the yeah, security yeah. around so, those systems? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So when you start to think about this, the circle gets wider and wider of all the different areas that could possibly be compromised or breached. And that, yes, it's important to have good defenses, but there's always going to be a way in, period. So what do you think are the biggest issues right now facing election security on a national level? We're going to talk specifically about Washington in a second, but mm -hmm. what are the biggest issues nationally you think facing election security? Well, one way I think um, to kind of break this down and understand our elections are so diverse state by state. And there was a great report that came out, I want to say last February, put together by the Center for American Progress that took a big chunk of what makes up a secure election, things like the paper ballots, the audits, um, whether there's any internet voting involved, reconciliation reports, basically showed how each state is faring with those criteria. And there's some states that are failing horribly um, with their election integrity. And so there are actually five states right now that have no paper record of the vote um, because they use entirely paperless machines. And so those states include Georgia, uh, Louisiana, South Carolina, Delaware, New Jersey. And so that's a huge national concern. Mm -hmm. You know, if we have no ability to detect and recover in those states because there's nothing to look at, there's nothing to audit. Um, we really um, need to be focusing in on getting those basic measures in place. Uh, another, I believe it's seven or eight states uh, are partially paperless. So then we have some more states where there's some work to do. And then you build upon that, well, you know, all states we need to have paper, but then a lot of states aren't performing the necessary post-election audits. Mm -hmm. So it really doesn't matter if you have the paper. You need both of those. Yeah, if, if you're not looking at the paper, then... What's the point? <laughs> what's the use yeah, of the paper? Yeah, if you have a paper a ballot, mm -hmm. you have a record, but you never verify that the equipment counting it is working properly, mm -hmm. then what's the point? Exactly. Right? You've got a whole bunch of stuff to store, and it's going to get dusty and eventually shredded. Yeah. So that's the purpose of having mm -hmm. paper ballots, so they can be regularly audited. Exactly, yep. And so then the voters can have the confidence that not only is their record there, but it's going to be potentially looked at randomly, you know, selected. And so this report that was put out uh, broke all those things down state by state. And so quite a few states received a grade of D or F because they're just not doing audits. They don't have paper. Um, there were determines... Is it all state legislature that determines how elections get audited or how elections are run? You know, it's so varied state by state. So, like, for example, Washington, it is our state legislature that uh, really helps design what audit or what election officials can do to audit. But some states have election boards, and those election boards uh, have quite broad powers to make those decisions. Other states, it's almost entirely in the Secretary of State's hands. 
Uh, other states are very lenient and sometimes local election officials can make those decisions. And so really it's gonna be dependent on the state and knowledge of how they lay out their elections. So there's no consistency whatsoever across the country about how states and jurisdictions run elections pretty much. Yeah, Is that I mean, correct? You, you could group some states closer together than sure. others. So you can say, you know, Washington, Oregon, Colorado are more similar. Um, but then even when you go into each of those states, we do have quite a few differences in how mm -hmm. we're carrying out similar practices. Um, so yeah, so I think there's a lot of different angles that you can look at the national problem. Um, but those two things are critical, the yeah. paper and the audits. So how does Washington State compare to the other states? Where How do we um, match up um, in comparison on election security? So Washington, uh, on that report that I mentioned, received a grade of C. And so we're in the middle. We're in the middle. <laughs> we're passing, but not by yeah, much. Exactly. <laughs> um, we do have work to do, for sure. Um, so some of the reasons we didn't do so hot on our grade are uh, our post-election audits, um, and we can talk about this more later, um, but until recently, uh, they were pretty much optional. Mm -hmm. And what they are is not so much a random sampling as a snapshot in time. And so what the auditors will do is the scanners are scanning those ballots, and they'll, they'll hit stop and tabulate. And they'll take that batch of ballots and they'll hand count them and make sure it matches the machine count. So that's definitely a good s step. You know, it's better than nothing, mm -hmm. but that gives us no information about whether the election outcome, you know, was accurate, that we should have high confidence in it. It just basically provides us a little snapshot to say, oh, well, that, that chunk looked okay. And so uh, we didn't receive a good, good grade for our post-election audits. As far as paper ballots go, we are pretty close to being 100% paper ballots, except we had a pretty big flaw in that up until recently, any voter in Washington, uh, whether they're service or military or overseas, any voter in Washington could return their ballot via an email attachment. Um, they didn't have to have a reason. Um, and so that definitely affected our score mm -hmm. uh, because email ballot return has a lot of different security concerns associated with it. Uh, and then another issue is just a few of our reconciliation reports um, could be improved. And that would be an easy fix if we were to tackle that. And so those were the, the main things were the audits, uh, the email ballot return, mm -hmm. um, and getting those last few uh, votes that were being submitted on via email. And you were um, instrumental in helping push that and getting Secretary of State Kim Wyman to address the problem about email ballots. So I, I want to call you out on that because you really were instrumental in helping draw attention to that issue. Yeah, you know, there's an interesting story behind that. Uh, I really had no idea that Washington uh, allowed this practice. Uh, we were really the only state in the country that allowed any voter. How did you How did you discover that? Uh, so there were, it was pointed out in the Center for American Progress report. And then there was also some legislation uh, going through to try to make voting by email easier uh, this last session. And so as soon as we kind of wrapped our minds around this, we were like, oh gosh, you know, this, this has huge concerns from multiple different avenues. 
um, just to lay into some of those concerns, um, email is not encrypted. And so when email is traveling from server to server, um, if a malicious actor has control of that server, there's nothing to stop them yeah, from. It's very vulnerable it's system. It's very vulnerable, yeah. And so, you know, if a voter is using their email client and their computer is infected with malware, that could affect and change their, uh, their votes. Uh, as their ballots traveling across the internet and being transmitted, uh, it could be interrupted and have the votes changed. Uh, when it arrives at the election official's email client, if that's infected with malware, there could be concerns about votes changed. Um, if a malicious actor wanted to send a, a fake ballot to the election official, they could attach malware uh, to that attachment that could then infect infect the network. So it's much so, it's much bigger than just somebody voting illegally or um, accessing someone's vote and changing it. It's it's about being able to corrupt the system altogether. Yeah. So there's there's multiple ways to look at it. The votes can be changed. Uh, emails can be deleted. Uh, it could be used as a malware vector. So there's lots of different ways that email ballot return is highly concerning. Um, and so we really took the time to kind of educate ourselves on um, having a good picture of what the problems were here before we started to take action and try to educate others. So you um, knew exactly where the, the problems were and the, the fixes that had to happen. Correct. Yeah. And... And we realized there was a huge need for education. Uh, a lot of folks weren't entirely clear that this was even a practice in Washington. It wasn't well known. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't anything I had heard of before, no. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, some counties didn't have it on their website at all as being an option. Other counties, it was front and center. So it was really variable how the practice was being promoted. So we decided... Um, you know, the, the bill to expand email um, ballot return uh, died in the legislature, but we knew we wanted to try to rein this in further. We knew there had to be further action. So we worked with the University of Washington uh, Center for Information Assurance and Cybersecurity and held a public forum back in March. And so during this public forum, uh, we talked a lot about the different risks of internet voting as well as email ballot return uh, just to you know make sure that we were getting the word out there that uh, Washington had work to do. Uh, the following day, some of those same uh, cybersecurity experts who were on our forum uh, were involved in a private meeting that we uh, put together with the Secretary of State, uh, some legislators, some aides, uh, election officials, just to all come together and to talk about the current law. Make sure everybody was on the same page. Um, I worked with a, a person to put together an actual email ballot hack so people could see for themselves that this is a so real... So you, put a, you uh, had a simulated hack and to show, illustrate how, how the problem... Um, the problem overall. Exactly. So what I did was I took my um, ballot from the February election and I, you know, wrote in my votes and signed my signature page, scanned it in as a PDF, and then sent it out from my email client. And uh, this person was able to write a hack where 
instead of my ballot going through a typical server on its way across the internet, it went through their compromised server and changed a couple pages of my ballot, but kept my signature page intact. And so then when it arrived at the end email address, the actual votes had changed, but the signature page was just fine. So the election official would have no way of knowing of course. that the ballot had been manipulated and the voter would have no way of knowing because if they look at their attachment, it looks just like how they sent it. And there is no way to check that something's changed because of voter privacy concerns. They don't want to, you know, have two things with somebody's name on it to compare. Mm-hmm. And so it's really a simple way of interfering with somebody's vote. Um, so we displayed that and showed that it could be easily accomplished as part of our presentation. Um, so overall, the meeting was really successful. It was nice to have everybody come together and, and talk about this issue. Um, from there, uh, we just did some more education. We wrote about it in the League of Women Voters newsletter. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was also a Seattle Times article that came out yes. this past July. That drew a lot of attention to it. Yeah, so that was an article that just kind of talked about how Washington is faring with election security. And it did bring up uh, the email ballot concern um, in the article. And, you know, we were really glad that there was some attention on this, but we weren't sure it was going to be enough attention for action to come out of it. And so in response, uh, the League wrote a letter to the editor of the Seattle Times, uh, basically saying, you know, we have the chance to make a change prior to the midterms to remove this option for all voters to vote via email. Um, And we'd like to see that happen. Uh, A few weeks later, I was involved with uh, some folks who were putting together an email ballot hack at DEF CON. And so I kind of made up a sample email uh, ballot to kind of look similar to Washington. So it would be a similar vehicle for an attack uh, and provided that and they put together this uh, stand where uh, folks could come in and play around with how to manipulate email ballots Uh, and somebody did come up with another way to attack that was totally different than the one that Mm -hmm. i had demonstrated earlier Uh, but it was during defcon that we found out um, that washington secretary of state was eliminating uh, the ballot uh, email ballot return for all voters within the state of washington Uh, but it's still in place for military and overseas voters that would have to be changed via legislation. Well, congratulations on that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of hard work went into it, but yeah, yeah, we're great to see some uh, action come out. You are listening to Democracy Speaks. We'll be right back with Kirsten Mueller with more on election security after a brief station break. Stay tuned.